And if uh, the rest of you remaining in here have your Bibles, you can open to Colossians. Or if you have your phone apps, um, you can open to Colossians. And if you don't have anything, then I encourage you to bring your Bible or phone apps next week. (laughs) But you can see most of the verses up here. All right, Colossians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, after Romans and Acts. Um, As you can tell by the front of your bulletin cover, we're going to talk about some theological terms that probably are familiar with you. We are justified, sanctified, and we will be glorified. So that's kind of the outline this morning. Begin with a story about Margaret Thatcher. Have you heard her name before? She was a prime minister of the United Kingdom, and when she was serving, she went to uh, resident uh, nursing homes and um, in different places like that to visit people. And uh, one woman who was in the nursing home uh, didn't seem to recognize her, and so Margaret Thatcher asked her, do you know who I am? To which she responded, no, but if you ask the nurse, she usually knows. <laughs> and sometimes we forget who we are in Christ. We forget our identity. Have you forgotten who you are? Ask Jesus. He knows. He wants us to know, and he reminds us often in his word who we are, including the book of Colossians. So Colossians 1, as most books, they begin by revealing who we are in Christ. Uh, verse, verse 2, Colossians 1, 2. Uh, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Skip down to verse 9. Uh, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. It's Paul's prayer that we be filled with the Spirit of wisdom and knowledge in part, who we are in Christ. Um, and who are we? We are God's holy people. Uh, another word that's used in, in the Greek for holy people, the same word is saints. Paul would address people as saints or holy people in the beginning of his letters. We're chosen, we're forgiven, we're loved. That's how Paul would begin his letters all the time before he would launch into how we should live, like in chapters 3, or in Romans' case, chapter 12 and following. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, present your bodies as, you know... And so, oftentimes, we jump to the later chapters in Scripture when we're memorizing verses or telling others about our faith because we're practical people. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is how we should live. And so we get in a bunch of do's and don'ts um, rather than remember who we are first in Christ. We get bogged down. And so, like, like in Colossians 3, you jump ahead to that. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You know, if we simply, if we ignore who we are in Christ and jump to the head, head, ahead to the, how we should live, then we'll either become legalistic and we'll become very proud. Look at how great I'm doing. Oh, look at me. Or we'll become um, discouraged and live in despair. Man, I am such a mess up compared to others. When, our, when, our, when we're our, our identity, blah, when our identity is based on what we do rather than who we are. 
So Paul wrote Colossians to remind us that we are complete in Christ. And to counteract the false teachings that they were hearing, namely uh, from these Gnostics who were saying, you got to do this, this, and this, and this, and then you'll be complete. Then you'll have relationship with the living God. You, you have to discipline your body. You have to worship on certain days. You have to eat the, these types of foods. And Paul says, that's bunk. That's not who you are. That's what you do, but who you are is in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love that you have for all of God's people. When Paul says Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't use it because it's a cool title. He's referring to something specific. This is who you are. You belong to the Lord. He is our Lord. He is the supreme God who rules over creation, over the church, and over your life. That's who he is. You belong to him. He's your Lord. He is Christ. He's not just an impersonal emanation or or some sort of spiritual force that comes and emanates onto us. This Christ. Rather, he is the Messiah. He's the one who became a man. He is the exact imprint of the living God, this Jesus Christ as your Messiah who came to save you. Verse 4, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in you in heaven, about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. What's this true message of the gospel that come, come to them? And, and what does it involve? Well, it involves, on the front of your bulletin, the rest of the message. You're justified you are sanctified, and you will be glorified. So that's the outline. First, we are justified. We're freed from the penalty of sin and death. Secondly, we're sanctified, being freed from the power of sin and bondage. And one day we'll be glorified, we'll be freed from the presence of sin and decay. So we're justified, freed from the penalty of sin. Verse 12. God the Father has qualified you to share in his inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Paul's saying God is the one who qualifies us for our inheritance. Nothing we can do by way of works will qualify us to receive this inheritance, like eating right or disciplining our body, as was promised by the false teachers. If you've ever inherited something, it usually has come from a family member who loved you or because you belong to the family not because you earned it or deserved it and I'm going to pass on my inheritance to this worthy person. It usually comes as a gift. And in the same way, our inheritance from God has come to us as a gift. We respond with thankful hearts. It comes from a gift from the gospel. The life of Christ, his death, and his resurrection. Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. So in our justification, we've been rescued. Wallace Chapel tells a story about this woman named Elizabeth who went away to university, and she studied religion class at the university. And she came back home on the Christmas break, and she told her pastor, I'm not interested in a God who saves me. I'm more attracted in a God who identifies with me. To which the wise pastor responded, Elizabeth, if you got trapped in a 12-story in a fire in a hotel in elevators and, and, and the stairwells were blocked because of the fire, 
Um, and when the firefighters come and they extend those ladders up to the window and, and they bravely climb at their own risk to reach out their hands, are you interested in a firefighter who identifies with you or one who rescues you? Point taken. We have a Savior who didn't simply come to identify with us. I want to be like Jesus. Rather, he came to rescue us in our helplessness. He came to save us. Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Before we came to Jesus, we were blind, we were blind to the truth. We walked in darkness. The things of the Spirit, as Paul said in Corinthians, were foolishness to us. If they weren't foolish, they were irrelevant. They were meaningless to us. We didn't hunger for these things. They could have been offensive to us. They were old-fashioned and boring. We wander in dark, under the dark power of Satan's deception. And I remember when my brother came home from Sweden when he studied through North Park University overseas. He came back, and he was a changed person. He was over the top, on fire for Christ. But I went with him to a school dance with some other mutual friends for young adults in the community. And when we were there, I was checking out all the girls from all the schools, and, you know, and my friends were too. And here my brother was talking to someone in the corner sitting in a chair. And the closer I got, the more I discovered that he was sharing his faith in Jesus to this person. And I thought to myself, Jim, would you quit already? This is quite embarrassing. We're here to dance and meet people. We're not here to reserve, reserve what you're doing for Sunday mornings. And I, I thought he was a fool. That is until maybe several months, a year later, I had my own personal encounter with, with Jesus, making him my Lord my senior year of high school. And then I had this internal desire to share my faith. In, in every conversation, I just wanted to share about the love of Christ in my actions and words intentionally. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. He brought us into, it, the, literally, we're transferred or we're carried away from to some place else. William Barclay said when one nation was con conquered by another, the custom was to take the population of the defeated army or, or even entire empire and transfer it or carry it away to the conqueror's land and then enslave them there. Well, we've been delivered and, and brought into God's kingdom. Everything that we have and all that we are now belongs to Christ. We're transferred and carried away from Satan's domain into God's domain, in the kingdom of the Son that he loves. In verse 14, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness. Redemption, we know what that means, right? Being released from the legal consequence and purchased by a ransom price. So the consequence for our sin was death, is death, eternal separation. That's the consequence, but we've been ransomed from that. We've been purchased at a ransom price by Jesus' blood, his death on the cross. And so that's what it means to be um, reconciled, or redeemed, I mean. And then we've been forgiven. Uh, the word forgiveness is the sending away for good. Our sin is cast away, it's the east is from the west. 
and forgotten. And the barrier that separated us from God has been removed forever. We've been forgiven in the past, in the present, and in the future. Sometimes we have to, we think, wait, wait a minute, I haven't been forgiven in the present. You know, I, I just sinned. Well, we confess, but we stand forgiven before God. But we need to confess our sin so that we get right with God. Our fellowship is broken when we sin, but our relationship is never broken with God because we stand forgiven past, present, and future. If Lynn and I get in an argument, we may have broken fellowship for you know, a few hours and just go our separate ways and not want to talk to each other. Our fellowship is broken, but we are still husband and wife. Our relationship is not. Same with God. We've been forgiven and it's, our sin has been sent away for good. And then Paul gets more specific about our justification in verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Alienated. It means estranged to another owner. Adam and Eve were estranged from God and they became enslaved to another owner, Satan. Well, that's the bad news. The good news is in the next verse, 22. But now he has reconciled you to Christ's physical body by Christ's physical body through death. Here's another big term, reconciled. Simply means to be restored into friendship, restored into relationship. We've been reconciled. We used to be friends. Our friendship was broken somehow, uh, and, and, we need, and it was damaged, and therefore we need to be reconciled, brought back together and restored into relationship. And through Christ's death, we were reconciled. These truths are all a part of justification, Paul mentioned, this is who you are. You are qualified. You are rescued. You are transferred. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are reconciled. That's who you are. That's how you stand before God. And that's good news. We've been justified. But we're not simply justified. That's only half of the equation, really a third. That's only part of the equation. Next, we're reconciled. We're reconciled. We need to be changed. If some governor or if the president of the United States were to say, we're going to have a day of pardon today and forgiveness. We're going to open all the prison doors and let all the prisoners out for good. And then there'd be great rejoicing. Family members would rejoice. Prisoners would rejoice. There'd be some concern too, obviously. But um, all these people would be free and they'd be dancing in the streets because they're forgiven and they're pardoned. But that doesn't mean they're changed and reformed. And so pretty soon we could see a bunch of crime rise because all these hardened criminals have been let out. Some have been reformed, but many maybe not. So we need not only be justified, we need to be changed. We need to be sanctified. We need to be freed from the power of sin. When Lynn and I were walking on the pathway by the Hutchinson Zoo, we came upon this snake to the left. And I thought, how cool is that? And Lynn, I, I said, Lynn, I want to take a picture. She said, no, no, no. And I took a picture. And so there it was. But fortunately, that snake, which was this big and that thick around, its head was cut off. That's, that's for Easter. Well, we'll talk about that later. But we didn't know it. You know, we came upon it like, yay, uh, right on the pathway. Well, snakes are interesting things because snakes will oftentimes in, in their lifetime shed their snake skin 
and then produce brand new snake skin and slither around. They do this several times, I understand. And once they put on a new clothes of snake skin, guess what? They're still a snake. They don't change. A snake is always a snake. But when we're sanctified, when we come to Christ, we actually change. We become new creations in Christ, sort of like caterpillars who turn into butterflies. We can oftentimes think like caterpillars, but we're still butterflies. We can oftentimes not exercise the gift of our new wings because we live in ignorance. We don't know who we are in Christ. We don't know that we can spiritually fly. But we are indeed butterflies whether we know it or not. Verse 22 says, But now he has reconciled you to Christ's physical body through death to, his, to pre- present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, which means we are not only holy, we're pure and faultless. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, we are holy, we're sanctified, we're set apart, we are saints. They, these words all come from the same root word in Greek, hagios. In the King James Bible, believers are called saints over and over again. In fact, 240 times uh, we're referred to as saints or righteous ones. We might be knuckleheads and we might be walking in disobedience, but we're still referred to as saints. We are not sinners saved by grace. We used to be sinners. Now we are saints who sometimes sin and need to be forgiven. And so we need to see ourselves as who we are. Sanctification then changes us on the inside and it works its way out in our behavior. And sanctification is seen in three different tenses in Scripture. We are sanctified in the past. We have been made holy the moment we met Christ. We are sanctified in the present. It's called progressive holiness. We are being made holy and we will be sanctified in the future. It's called entire holiness or sanctification or perfected holiness will be made completely holy one day so sanctification has three sub points here we're we're in the past made holy positional sanctification we stand before god as saints as righteous ones as royalty because of christ in verse 22 that's why he said you know i'm going to present you as holy in his sight You've been reconciled. In verse 2, to God's holy people, to his saints in Colossae, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. We stand holy. And I've used this illustration a hundred times before, but I've got this penny in my pocket, and it's tarnished. One of them is tarnished. Uh, That's a shiny one. Uh, I'm missing missing the tarnished one. Anyway, we we have this tarnished penny in here, you know, in our pocket. And when I hold it in my hands, I go up to someone and say, hey, what do you think? What do you think? And they'll put up their fist, you know. Well, what, what do you think of this? What do you see? And they'll say, well, I see your fist, dude. No, 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 no. What's in my fist? I don't know what's in your fist. I see your fist. That's all I see. We are tarnished. We are scratched. We are old, whatever. Penny, inside. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. When God looks at us, he sees Christ covering us. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And that's how we stand positionally before God. 
always, because Christ always covers us. He not only lives within us, we are in Christ as well. And then secondly, present holiness. We are becoming holy. It's progressive sanctification. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. If you continue, it suggests progression. It suggests cooperation with Christ. Lloyd John Ogilvie, pastor, wrote, we can't do it without God, and God won't do it without us. It's a partnership. In our backyard, Lynn and I have two apple trees and have to pick up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of apples that fall to the ground. But some years ago, um, the apples were growing, and there were plethora, and some neighborhood kid, kids ran in their backyard, and they started picking a bunch of apples and started throwing them at each other. They're having apple war fights using our apples, and Lynn had to stop them, right? Which is all right. You know, that's what kids do. But they were small, and they were green. If you, if you would ever see a small green apple growing on your tree, you'd say, is that an apple or not? Well, it is an apple. In fact, it's a perfect apple. It, it's, a, it's a complete apple even though it's not mature yet. When we come to Christ, he completes us, even though we're not mature yet. In order for an apple to become mature, it must abide in the branch and continue to grow. If we are to grow to maturity, we must abide in Christ. We must be people of God's word. We must worship him. We must be obedient to him. Um, And when we do these things, then we'll continue to grow. It's called progressive holiness or sanctification. But we must cooperate with him. That's why it says, if you continue. Well, does it mean that if we do not continue uh, to cooperate, does it mean we'll lose our salvation? And the answer is no, we won't. We'll just remain immature all of our lives as believers in Christ. Sort of like... This missile right here. Um, you know, when military sends up missiles like this, or the government, then they type in the computer as to where they're sending it. You know, the location where it should be sent. But sometimes storms come, or the atmospheric pressure takes the missile, and it it's knocks it off course a little bit. And you know, when it's going a long distance, if it's knocked off course a little bit, then it's sort of like our golf balls. They start out right, and they go take a turn for the worse, Right? But unlike golf balls, missiles have homing, uh, homing mechanisms within them. And so if they're knocked off course like this, the homing mechanism will get it back on course, always. They're designed that way. We have a homing device in us. He is called the Holy Spirit of God. When we get off course, the Holy Spirit convicts us, draws us back. He he might discipline us, draws us back, draws us back because his intent by his spirit is to um, create maturity in us. But again, the more we resist, the more immature we'll be, the more we surrender to his control, the more we will mature in Christ. John Newton paraphrased it this way, I am not the man I should be, I am not the man I could be, but I am the man, I'm not the man I used to be or once was, And by the grace of God, I'm not the man I one day will be. We're sanctified. Doesn't mean we're sinless, but it means we will sin less. 
the more we mature in Christ. That's who we are. And then finally, and this is a short point, and I'll be done, we're glorified. One day we'll be glorified. We'll be freed from the presence of sin. The Apostle Paul understood his commission and call in life to help people mature. And so in verse 25, he said, I have become its servant of the church by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. But what was his end goal in presenting the the word of God? We see in verse 28 of chapter 1. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may uh, present everyone fully mature in Christ. Again, full maturity in Christ. And one day we'll be complete in Christ, completely sinless, perfected, and that's called perfect sanctification, or we'll be glorified. Michelangelo was once asked, how in the world can you take a rock like this and, and create such a beautiful sculpture just from a lump of old rock. And he replied that he saw the person in the stone and used his chisels to set that person free. And that's what God does with us. He sees the person that he wants us to become and he starts chiseling away, disciplining us, uh, pulling us in, developing us from the inside out, and we become the person that he longs for us to be. And it's a thing of beauty. Paul says in Philippians that he, God, who began a good work in us, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, until the day we are glorified in his presence. Paul understood this, that he needed to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He needed to partner with the Holy Spirit if he were to see this transpire. And so that's why in verse 29 he said, For this I toil, struggling with all of his, <clears throat> his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Was it Paul's energy or was it God's? It was both. I struggle with all his energy. Brother Andrew, uh, Christian martyr, he, didn't, he wasn't murdered, but he suffered deeply. And God never gives a task without the ability to accomplish it. When he calls, he enables. When he appoints, he anoints. He gives us the strength and the ability to become the person that he wants us to be. So, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know that you are justified and that you stand before God covered in his righteousness? That you are a holy one, that you are a saint, that you are royalty? Do you know that you have the Spirit of God who is sanctifying you as you participate with him? We have been made holy, positionally. We are being made holy, progressively, and one day we will be perfect, perfected and holy. And then finally, we will be glorified, which is that third point. This is God's promise to us. I'd like to end with just a story about a guy, a short story about a guy um, who learned that he was all three of these things. But it took a while for him to learn this. His name was Ben. It was written uh, by Patricia Sellers, the luckiest person I ever met, she wrote in Fortune magazine. She, She said the transforming power of justification and sanctification was seen in the life of a little boy named Ben. When Ben was just eight, his father abandoned their family 
His mother had to work many jobs in order to make ends meet. Ben started really messing up in school. Never did his work. Mom saw his grade slipping. Um, cut his TV time off. Put him on a strict schedule for homework. And he began to bring up his grades. But Ben still had a problem. He had a really bad, bad temper. He was angry. There were even times when he threatened his mother. The turning point in Ben's life came when he tried to stab a friend. He would have killed the other boy, but for the grace of God, he stuck the knife right into the belt buckle of the kid. And so Ben, that disturbed Ben so much, he became, he became afraid that he was, had the potential to kill someone. And so he opened the Bible of his grandparents, and he began to read it, and in so doing, he gave his life to Jesus. And he was changed. Jesus gave Ben a life worth living. And Ben decided to pursue a dream of becoming a doctor one day. But he only had $10 to use for his college applications. And so he sent the fees in to one university, Yale University. And, he, and the rest is history. This abandoned child, this class cut up, this violent young man grew up to be this guy. who just disappeared on us. Oh, oh, there he is. Dr. Ben Carson, you recognize him, don't you? As being one of the best pediatric neurosurgeons of the world and a very committed and outspoken disciple for Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He chooses us. He justifies us. He makes us holy. He sanctifies us. And one day he'll lead us to be with him, glorified in his presence. That's his promise to us. Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. <clears throat> Thanks, God, for how you change lives and, and how we can hear hundreds of testimonies in this church alone. How you've taken a life heading in the wrong direction, a hopeless direction, and how you changed us and you, you breathed life and hope and purpose into our lives as well. That's what you do, Lord, and that's your guarantee. Even though life is up and down and it's a struggle, you remain with us all the while you're sanctifying us and making us more like Jesus. So we thank you for that, and we thank you for the invitation to meet with you at your table. Lord, we may feel like we fall short and we may be out of fellowship with you this morning. Then we take this opportunity to confess our sins and get right with you. And so at this time, Lord, we, we place all of our attention on you because you are here to meet with us one-on-one. -on -one. Speak to us, Lord, as we eat at your table. Amen.